Welcome back to the golden age of optimism. Are you optimistic? Some people are, some people aren't. My name's John Harmon. We're continuing with the reading of Akhtal and the Five Planets of Han. This is a podcast a little different from others because I am actually doing the audio recordings of my books. So if you want to get the full value of listening to the whole book, then you need to start with episode one on each different season. So we're continuing now with my science fiction book, Akhtal and the Five Planets of Han. Go back just a little bit. And uh, the CIA guy, Mark, is down in the secret chamber with the aliens. And he says, okay, let's just slow down and take everything here one step at a time. I know from being in the CIA about the Roswell incident. Are you two the same type of aliens as those? Both Jacon and Kafta shook their heads, indicating no. How many aliens of your type have visited this planet in the past? Mark asked. Kafta replied, We are the first ones. We understand in the past there have been a variety of different aliens that have visited this planet throughout its history. Yes, some of the rumors you may have heard about the Incas, Easter Island, and the Egyptians are true. The harsh reality is that your species, humans, that is, are very aggressive and violent type of people. I am sure you know that just from studying your history. Those traits are not good traits for a species to continue to thrive on a planet. In all honesty, at the rate your species is going, it will not survive. Your ecosystem is being destroyed because of human ego based in religion and capitalism and greed that puts humans as a species above all other species. Your petroleum industry is destroying the very air that you breathe and the very oceans that support all of the fish. There are so many other more efficient means of providing energy, but most all of them are squished by the large oil companies in the name of profit. We understand a majority of humans know all of this, but the way your political systems are set up, the people do not have the power to change any of it. The aliens that visited your planet in the past saw very quickly what the future held for such an aggressive species as yours and decided it was not a place. They wanted to cohabit with humans. Mark nodded his head up and down. It was almost exactly as he had thought. He had almost the same conversation with George in the past. Reality was what it was, and how it would ever change was beyond him. He spoke, okay, well, that is very interesting, but still, I have no idea why I'm here and what I can do to help, if anything. Jacon and Kafta stared at each other thinking the exact same thing. 
If this is one of the more intelligent human beings, then this species is doomed for sure. I think Bork and Mr. Kin will answer the questions when they talk with you, Kafta replied. He knew most likely he had already talked too much. It was nice that Bork and Mr. Kin had allowed himself and Jacone to meet the new earthling first, but now was not the time to go into the kind of details this earthling was seeking and probably he would never understand anyway. Look, I have no idea how my friends and I can be of any help to you, Mark said. We have no power or influence in our society. We are just three normal guys. I actually have no idea what George and Ernie are doing right now, but I am fairly certain that they are letting some of their inhibitions go wild. Yes, we humans are animals. Some of us know that and some of us don't. The point I am making is that we are now at a point of no return. You have met me, and I have met you. In the CIA, that would mean someone is going to probably have to die. And that is not a feeling I like to have. Worse is the fact that I have no clue if you are even really aliens. For all I know, you could be sophisticated actors dressed up and putting on a good act. So why don't we get to the point in the evening now where I meet your leaders? Yes, as they say in the movies, take me to your leader. Then Mark laughed for the first time. The whole situation was beyond ridiculous and bizarre. Here he was in some hidden underground chamber, that surely no humans could have made. And he's here with two aliens. They had one big eye in their forehead and they were diminutive in size. Their voices sounded like children almost, but they spoke perfect English more or less. They were dressed in plain American style clothes, only the shoes they wore were more like those of a man twice their size. Their skin had a grayish tone to it, their mouths were very small compared to their size, and their noses were only small bumps on their face with two small holes. It was all too weird, too late, and something still did not seem right. Mark leaned back in his chair and took a small piece of the tasty fruit and plucked it in his mouth. No one spoke as they sort of stared at each other back and forth for a minute or so. Mark looked around and was trying to decide if he should try to flee out of there. And then it really dawned on him that he basically was a prisoner. But these two aliens were treating him like a guest. There was no escape. And he knew it. So he resigned himself to just play along and whatever the conclusion would be, would be. He looked at his watch and saw it was well after 2 a.m. He was trying to think what to say next, but after he had gazed at his watch, he started to feel tired. Or maybe the fruits were having a tranquilizing effect on him. Maybe he was being drugged. He looked back and forth at the two strange creatures with one eye in the center of their head, and then he blinked his eyes rapidly, just to be sure he was not dreaming. And they said, oh, okay, so when do I get to meet the other two you mentioned? Jacon was wondering that very question himself. Why had Mr. Kin and Bork left them alone with this 
persistent human for so long. Mr. Kinn had said he would be along shortly, but that quote, shortly, unquote, was becoming a long time for Jacone. Jacone glanced at Kafta before he responded, and he could tell Kafta was thinking the same as him. Oh, he will be here shortly. It was more of a hope than an answer. Mark put another piece of tasty fruit in his mouth. As it had been said a million times, back at the ranch house, unquote, Ernie was sound asleep in a rapturous, inebriated bliss. Shiloh left him to sleep and reported to Mr. Ken and Bork. When Charlotte told them that Ernie would never be of much value to them, both Mr. Ken and Bork found that to be an odd statement from the robot that they had built. They were still planning what to do with the humans and what to do if the next day the Council of Medicine men decided to go public with their ongoing relationship with them. They sent Charlotte to work preparing the intergalactic vehicle as Jacone and Kafta were now busy entering the human entertaining the human, Mark. They were coming to the conclusion that the three friends could serve as an important purpose for them, but they weren't exactly sure what. It was time to meet the one called Mark. Bork and Mr. Kin were having a lengthy conversation, trying to sort out the details of their plans and other contingency plans. Bork was fairly certain that the Council of Medicine men would decide to expose them. Whereas Mr. Kin felt more confident that Tom Whitecloud would be able to convince them not to expose them. This was really one of the first times that either Bork or Mr. Kin could recall that either one of them had such a starkly different viewpoint. Both Mr. Kin and Bork had learned quite a bit about the three humans by observing them. They did agree that they may be helpful to them in the future, but exactly how they were not, they were not exactly sure. At last, Mark felt somewhat more relaxed. He had been using deductive reasoning to analyze his situation. He had concluded that this was obviously not some kind of hoax. These were real aliens and they were a lot more intelligent than he was. What he could not put his finger on, even though he had offered, they had offered him an explanation, was what their real mission was. Mark decided he had no choice than to just play along with them and try to see behind the words. He knew at this point he was not in control of his future, but the aliens were, so he figured he might as well just try to enjoy the moment and try to figure things out. He started to ask questions, and to his surprise, they once again started to answer his questions. Since Mark had worked in the government for the majority of his life, he asked the one question he had always wondered about. He said, well, this country, I mean my country, you know, the United States of America here, continue to be a world leader among nations, and if so, for how long? This time, Jacone jumped to answer. Not literally, but he was happy to answer, yes, absolutely. From all the projections we have run, this country will dominate the world for hundreds of years into the future. 
at least until your planet can unite under one form of government or rule. Unlike what you or others may believe as the reason for this, the reason is quite different, yet quite logical. Your country has the majority of resources, waterways, natural borders to protect it, and an ideology that is inclusive rather than divisive. Since your government came up with guidelines for trade with the Bretton Woods Conference years ago after World War II, the rest of your planet's countries have made great progress under the protection of your military, especially your navy. But nothing is guaranteed, of course. If your country and the Soviet Union can work out nuclear disarmament, along with China and agreements in the future, then your planet has a bright future. If not, then possibly it is doomed. Mark shook his head slowly and tried to absorb what he had heard. He, he couldn't believe that these aliens knew this much about the history of his planet and his history of his country. He, Mark wanted the best for his planet, as he guessed most people did, but it was very strange. It was different hearing it from an alien. Now Mark started to ask more questions, and they were fired at the aliens in droves, one after another. He wanted to know everything about them and where they came from. When he opened his eyes, he then realized he had said nothing. They had been communicating without words. He knew he was exhausted, and he knew he was in a situation that had no point of reference to any previous experience. So it was now difficult for him to formulate his thoughts. He opened his eyes, then closed his eyes, then started to blink rapidly as if someone, he could make out an image of the two aliens in front of him, but he wasn't sure. And then there, there was this one big eye in their forehead and it came into focus and then out of focus and became two eyes like normal people, but it didn't work. He couldn't tell what was going on. And then he repeated, when do I meet your leaders? He then ex instantly realized he sounded like some moron in a B-rated movie, so he laughed. It was a deep laugh. Jacone and Kafta turned and looked at each other, thinking to themselves, what is wrong with this earthling? How strange this earthling is. Yes, they will be here soon, Kafta replied once again to Mark, and Mark stopped laughing. Mark had always been unpredictable, and in a way, that made him a perfect inside man for the CIA. But it also made him a liability. Both sides knew. They knew that Mark was a bit unpredictable, but there was not much Mark could do to control that part of his genius. It sort of had a life of its own in a way. Some people would say he had multiple personalities and, and maybe he did, but for Mark, all that mattered in reality was the moment that he was in. Life was about the present and how he moved from the present towards the future. So for him, whether he had different opinions or different personalities really made little difference as he 
as long as he kept moving forward, he thought to himself. Jacone reached out and took some of the cactus fruit from the table and then stepped towards Mark and offered it to him. Maybe that is what triggered the reaction in Mark, or maybe it just had been too much wine and one heck of a long night. But Mark had already ate too much of the fruit, and part of his brain was telling him that the fruit has some kind of psychotropic effect on him. It actually, it actually did. Either way, his mind suddenly raced back to his two friends. Maybe they were already dead in the process of being dissected by these aliens. Mark raised his eyebrows at the thought of it and slapped the fruit out of the hand that Jacone had stretched out to him, holding the fruit away from him. Jacone cowered to a corner of the patio like a scared child. Mark was getting angry now. He could feel his palms start to sweat and his heart start to beat faster. He recognized the signs and tried to take a few deep breaths, but that did not help much. He was at the point of fleeing, making a run for it. He didn't know where he was going, but he was going to flee. The problem was he had no clue where to run. Just at that moment, off to his left from behind a long patrician wall, Mr. Kin and Bork appeared. They casually strolled to the table and seated themselves across the table from Mark. Mr. Kin waved his hand and Kafta left the table. Kafta and Jacone left the patio area in the same direction from where Mr. Kin had arrived. Mark sat dumbfounded at the side of Bork. It was strange enough that the other aliens were small and had the one big eye in the center of their head, but this other one was very different. Bork had two dark eyes and sort of like what aliens had been portrayed like in all the movies with the big head, but up close, Mark could see that Bork's skin was sort of a translucent, pale blue color, and it almost made him appear as if you could, you could see right through his skin, but, but you couldn't. Mark started to speak, Bork started to speak, and this time Mark realized that the alien was not really speaking, but he was communicating with his mind. Mark was fine with it. Actually, he knew that he had no choice. Bork started the communication. Forgive us for not coming sooner, but Mr. Kin and I had some very important matters to discuss before we could speak with you. Your friends are safe, and they are both actually sleeping now. From this point on, we will communicate with you in your language and not with telepathy. We want to make sure that we all fully understand each other. Mark blinked his eyes and realized he had actually been sitting with his eyes closed. Mark nodded his head and said, yes, let's, let's use words now. Mr. Kin smiled at Mark and Mark smiled back at him. Bork continued speaking, but now the words came out of his small, crooked mouth in sort of a buttery monotone. We have reached a decision. That is, Mr. Kin and I have reached a decision. We want to discuss this decision with you before we implement a plan. 
I know to you this seems very strange and confusing as to how you have become involved in our affairs. From the background check we ran on you, we are aware that you have studied many religions and philosophies. So from your point of view, you can look at our meeting not just as a matter of fate, but as a matter of fate with a higher overall purpose. Our paths have crossed for a reason that is beyond mortal understanding. I hope you will absorb what we have to say with an open mind and then feel free to add your own input. Mr. Kin sat very still and focused his attention totally on Bork as he continued to speak. Mark, we need to ask for your help. Even though there are other humans that know we are on this planet, it is not wise for us to seek their assistance at this time or in this particular situation. I am referring to members of a council of medicine men that is composed of the leaders of many of the Southwest Indian tribes. There are a number of these men that are aware of our existence here and a few that have actually come here to visit us. Later today, they are having an annual meeting and we are aware that they will discuss the prospect of them revealing us to the United Nations in the very near future. Mr. Ken and I have come to the conclusion that if this happens, we most likely become nothing more than prisoners on this planet, and all that we know and that we have will be dissected for the benefit of a few and not for what our mission was here to come on this planet. We feel this is not the right time for us to be revealed or exposed. We know that our technologies would most likely be used by the more powerful nations to take advantage of the weaker nations. This is precisely why we have traveled here, so as to prevent those type of actions from happening. Bork paused and let Mark absorb all that he had heard. Mark no longer felt tired. He felt focused, but dreamy at the same time. He didn't understand at all why it was he and his two friends that had been pulled into such a bizarre situation. He wanted nothing to do with aliens. Heck, he had been trying to distance himself from the CIA over the past few years, and this fist farming project was just a part of that transition. Mark put his hand up in the air as if to ask for a break. He stared down at the marble floor for a few seconds, then looked first at Mr. Kin, then at Bork. Then he said, okay, let's, let's step back for a second. First, there are plenty of humans that believe in aliens, so if you were revealed to the public, it would probably not make that big of an impact on anyone. Plus, the fact that you become so-called public figures would in a way actually insulate you and your knowledge from being abused by any one government. Lastly, the fact is, that a council of Indian leaders that are the ones to reveal you to the public would in a way lend even more value to the whole process because the public views medicine men as basically spiritual leaders. So 
Overall, I would say that maybe you two are wrong and that the medicine men are a bit wiser in this case. Bork and Mr. Ken stared at each other and then they stared intensely at Mark. Bork's eyes seemed to light up a bit and actually maybe began to glow. Bork knew that this human was highly intelligent and also had a mind of his own, but he did not expect him to throw a wrench in the plans that he and Mr. Ken had been talking about for the last few hours. He continued, The problem is your planet is embroiled now in the results of poor planning and materialistic goals, greed, quest for power and domination, and the overall lack of any regards for the natural ecosystems are now just beginning to show their effects. Over the next few centuries, this planet could get much worse and fall into chaos. I am sure that for you and for many others, the solution to this predictable outcome is very far off and lost in a quagmire of bureaucracy. Trust me, no matter what is done or not done, the bureaucracy is not going to improve. We are here to offer solid and very real solutions that will put your planet on track to become a planet that can take the next step towards migrations into your solar system and then beyond. But if your home planet becomes a barren rock due to war or poor management, then your human species will become yet another extinct species. We can provide knowledge of new energy technologies, new types of alloys and materials, advanced robotics, and complete plans for developing intergalactic space vehicles. Our vehicle is stored here underground. This can all be implemented within 30 years or less. Our knowledge, along with the focused and humanistic plan, can assure that your planet will become a paradise for humans. We strongly believe that if the Council decides to reveal us to the public at this time, then the first pride of your government would be to shelf all of the technologies we have and then selectively use them to strengthen your military and your power. We both know the United States military is the strongest on the planet, and whether the technologies we have are used to strengthen them or not, the United States military will remain strong for any foreseeable future. The problem is time. How long do you want your planet to be embroiled in small regional conflicts and continued degradation of the natural ecosystems? Mr. Ken and I have had many lengthy discussions over these topics and even though we made the decision for the council to be our first point of contact into your culture, we now believe we made a mistake in doing that because they are at this moment deciding on their own fate and the fate of your planet. We are uncertain when will be the correct time to push forward with plans to reveal ourselves to your people, if at all now. Still, we have a strong will to accomplish the mission we set out on when we traveled here. You may call it fate that we have met now, or you may think of it as the natural order of progression towards saving your people from the eventful fate of annihilation. The main issue right now is that we are here and we are communicating with you. 
we know you are the leader of your two friends and we needed to speak with you first before we move forward with any of our plans. That is why we are here now talking with you. Will you help us if we need your help? Mark sat dumbfounded and stared back and forth between Mr. Kin and Bork. He felt like he was being put on the spot, and worse, it was nearly morning. He was tired, and he was being asked to help the aliens he had just met. He wanted to be serious about the situation, but just it was so strange for him to be serious. How in the world did he go from starting a fish farming project with his two friends to now being asked by two aliens if he would help them to save his planet? Mark didn't know what to say, but he guessed it really did not matter too much what he said, so he just nodded his head and replied, Sure, I can help you, I guess. Bork and Mr. Kin seemed to breathe a long sigh of relief, though it had been their full expectation that the earthling would agree with them. It was morning now, and Tom Whitecloud would be meeting with the other members of the council in a few hours. They had to prepare. Time was moving too quickly now. Bork nodded his head as he stared at Mark as if to show he knew that Mark would agree to help them. Then he continued, We are both pleased that you and your friends will help us. The meeting will take place with the council members in a few hours. We fully expect them to vote and approve their plan to take us to the United Nations later in the month. We have decided we must leave here without them knowing. We have contemplated returning to Mara and the other Marans on this journey would be very happy if we did that. But now that we can count on you and your friends, we are going to remain on your planet a while longer. Mark didn't know what to say, but he said, So how can I help you, gentlemen? In a humorous tone. I mean, I don't want to sound flippant, but as you can see, I am not a lowly human on the evolutionary scale. But still, I don't know what I could do to help you. Mark looked at Mr. Kin and nodded his head as a sign that Mr. Kin should take it from here. Mr. Kin smiled as if to acknowledge the human's humor, even though he did not find what he had said as funny. Mr. Kin spoke, as Bork stated, it is highly likely we are going to have to leave here in the next few hours or so. We will have our intergalactic vehicle hidden here in this underground retreat. Our only option is to destroy it, and we do not want to do that. But if we need to, we will. We believe it will seal off this chamber sufficiently even if the medicine men that have been here will not be able to point any authorities to the exact hiding location. We can return at some later date and re retrieve the vehicle. We have calculated that if for some reason the vehicle is destroyed or captured, that would take approximately 10 or 15 years to build another one, and we would need access to a large manufacturing firm. The problem now is that we do just not have enough time to move it to another location. This is where you and your two friends can be of aid to us now. From our research, we know you own a large property in Kern County of California. 
we have looked at all of the topography maps for your property and we believe this would be a good area for us to go to and reside for the near future. You seem to know a lot about all of us and I am guessing this is not just from looking at intelligent reports, Mark thought, and hacking into government sites. Mark stated that so he could show them, even though he may not be on their level of intelligence, he still could hold on to a thought, and he knew what the hell they had done. Yes, we do, Mr. Clinton replied. Okay, I guess I will just leave it at that, Mark said back. Mr. King continued, essentially, this is a situation that we did not predict or prepare for. We went to hide out at your place in Kern County, at least temporarily, and maybe permanently. How we are going to get there and other details will have to be worked out once we know more about what happens at the meeting with the council today. I think your commitment to helping us will work out well for us and for your friends also. It may be a bit of an unpredictable adventure, but I think that is something that they will actually thrive on. We will be able to accomplish great things with your help. History may look back on you and your friends as true visionaries and heroes. Mark was dazed, tired, and still a bit wary that any of this was real. He bit his lower lip again. He was awake and he was not dreaming. He knew his life would never be anywhere near normal from this point on. Bork had closed his eyes too and seemed to be in a meditative state of mind or asleep. He opened his eyes now and then he spoke. It is confirmed now. The medicine men will vote to reveal us to the meeting. They want to introduce us at a meeting with the United Nations. Tom Whitecloud has confirmed how they will vote from taking with talking with some of the members. We must leave here by noon. Mr. Kinnenborg stood up and scurried off behind the large partition, leaving Mark sitting alone at the table. Mark looked at his watch and saw it was 7 a.m., he had no idea what he needed to do, so he reached over and took a few of the remaining pieces of cactus fruit and plopped them in his mouth. He lay down on his back on the cold marble patio and closed his eyes. He didn't know if he was in reality or in a dream. He fell asleep within seconds. He started to dream about his grandfather who had died 10 years earlier. They were planting apple trees on a clear, sunny day. Jacone sat quietly behind a few trees as Mr. Ken had instructed him to do. He watched Mark as he slept. Less than an hour later, Jacone gently woke Mark up and took him back up to the barn. He told Mark to go to the ranch house where he would find his two friends and eat some food and then return to the barn in an hour. As Mark entered the house, he could smell the breakfast that Octal and Charlotte were cooking in the kitchen. Ernie and George were sitting in the breakfast nook talking when Mark came in the front door. Hey, stranger, come and have some coffee, said George as he noticed Mark come through the front door. Mark sat at the table with his two friends and poured himself a cup of coffee. How are you guys doing, Mark asked as he put some cream in his coffee. Ernie was the first to respond. I am doing great. I had a fantastic night. He threw a glance at George, who blushed and fumbled with his coffee cup. At that moment, Octal sauntered in from the kitchen, carrying a hot tray of corn muffins 
which she set down on the table. She smiled at Mark and then gave George a little kiss on his cheek, which made him blush even more. Ernie burst out laughing. This was the happiest Mark had seen Ernie in a long time. Mark, I had a great night. You just can't imagine what Shala is like. She is out of this world. Now Mark laughed and shook his head. I bet she is, Mark said. He replied, not knowing if either George or Ernie had any idea that the two women they had spent the night with were robots. Mark exchanged glances with Octal. Octal left, then returned with Shala and more food, which they set on the table. George kept his head down, but he looked up at Octal, and she returned his look. Ernie winked at Mark like he knew exactly what was going on, but he didn't. They ate and conversed about the food and how nice of a day it was going to be. When Mark finished his food, he looked at his watch and he saw it was near 8 a.m. And that meant it was time to go back in the barn. Octal saw Mark looking at his watch and said out loud, Don't worry, we have put it off until 8.30 a.m. Put off what? George asked. Now Mark knew that George was clueless. Mark could tell Ernie knew something and was fine with whatever he knew, but George was lost in a world of rapture. George really had fallen head over heels for Octal. Mark decided, since they had a bit more time now, that he had better be the one to explain things to George and not Octal. Well, George, I can see you had a very enjoyable time last night. Shalak kicked Mark under the table, and Mark knew exactly why. She did not want Mark to tell George that the two women were robots. Mark had guessed as much by the motion in her eyes to both Akhtal and Shala, and he understood. We're meeting some people at 8.30 here. Basically, I have offered our assistance to these two lovely ladies. They, they need our help. I just need you guys to trust me on this one, and... Not worry too much about anything. It has nothing to do with our fish farming project. George replied, You are the boss, Mark. Ernie excused himself and went to the restroom. Shala motioned for Mark to go to the kitchen with her. So the two of them stood up and walked into the kitchen. Ernie came into the kitchen just about the same time and was carrying a shotgun he had acquired from the bedroom. Shala took the two of them out to the back porch. Things are moving quickly now. Ernie knows everything that is going on, but he has not met with the others yet. We are going to send Octal and George up to Santa Fe, where the meeting is going on. They can take our car, but when they get there, we want them to buy a new van, one with no windows. Mark looked at Ernie, holding the rifle. Ernie, do you really think you need that? You never know, Ernie replied. Shala... Is that okay with Mr. Kin and the others? Yes, of course. They know Ernie. Ernie only wants to be protective, Shala replied. Look, the only reason I believe Shala's story, that she and her friends are aliens who need help, is because she showed me that she is a robot. When she showed me, you know me. I tried to take her out, Ernie laughed. Well, she kicked my ass pretty fast. And then we actually, well, we actually had sex again. <laughs> Ernie laughed louder, and Mark could see that Ernie was more than ready for whatever venture laid ahead. Ernie was back to being the old Ernie. Octal 
was at the dining table telling George about their trip to Santa Fe for the day. George was all for it. He was totally bitten by the love bug. When the others returned to the dining room, George excitedly told them that he and Octal were going to drive to Santa Fe for the day. They told George and Octal that it was a good idea. Before they headed out, Octal winked at Mark. Mark and Ernie felt a bit guilty about not letting George in on everything that he was going on, but at this point, since George was so far lost in his world of infatuation, it most likely would just be a distraction if George knew too much anyway. After George and Shala left, the others headed back to the barn. Now Ernie would be able to meet the aliens. Ernie kept a shotgun next to his side. Once below, Shala took Ernie to meet Kafta and Jacone. Ernie laughed the first time he saw them. The one eye in the center of their bulging heads was just too funny. Now Ernie felt like he was in the middle of a cartoon adventure. He still couldn't get over how human Shala was, but he wanted his own robot no matter what happened in the long run. These aliens had the right idea, he kept telling himself. When they sat down and talked, Ernie related his tale about the spaceship he saw years ago in Vietnam. They were all amazed at the coincidence when it was revealed that the spaceship Ernie saw was them leaving their underground cavern in Cambodia and coming to Mexico. Ernie called it, quote, fate, unquote. The aliens just smiled. It was just a coincidence. After Mark conferred with Mr. Kin and Bork, he brought them to meet Ernie. Ernie was very impressed with Bork. Later, when he was alone with Mark, he told Mark that Bork did not have long to live. Mark asked Ernie why. Ernie said, I don't know, it's just a feeling. The plans had been made. Ernie and George left the underground retreat and Shala drove them back to the ranch where they had purchased their fish farming projects so they could pack their belongings and rest. It was nearly 11 a.m. when Octal and George were nearing the outskirts of Santa Fe. It had been arranged long before that Octal would pick up Tom White Cloud in the plaza sometime afternoon. Octal stopped the car to rest off so George could use the bathroom. When he returned, she sat on the driver's side and smiled at him, holding a more or less baseball-sized rock. Look, George, isn't this an interesting rock I found? She handed the rock to George, and George examined it. Yeah, it's an interesting rock. It seems to have some type of dark blue crystal embedded in it, and it's very heavy, George said as he handed the rock back to her. Yes, I found it outside. The dark blue is lapis lazuli, Octal said as she stared at the rock. Well, it's a nice rock. We better get going, George said as he stared at Octal. He still couldn't imagine how such a beautiful creature had fallen so hard for him. He was ready to give up everything to be with her. Watch this, Octal said. She held the rock in the palm of her hand and then slowly squeezed her fingers around the rock. Then in one quick motion, she crushed the rock. It broke up into small pieces as George watched in shock. His jaw dropped. What, what, what was that? Was that a trick? What did you, how did you do that? Suddenly, George felt very small. He felt like he, he was the rock and he was being crushed. 
Atal smiled, threw the crushed rock out of the window, then leaned over and kissed George on the lips. For the first time, George did not kiss back. He sat like a frozen, half-finished marble statue. Octal knew what he, he was feeling. She turned ignition on and headed down the highway. George kept staring at her. Once they were on the highway again and George's heart rate had calmed down a bit, Octal began to explain everything to George. She told him about her friends, that they were aliens. She spoke slowly and answered George's questions with short but calculated answers so as to not allow him to get overly worried or excited. When she came to the part about her being a robot with artificial intelligence, George just closed his eyes. At first, Octal thought he was going to faint, but then she could see he was just trying to understand what he was being told on some deeper level. What she didn't expect after he sat silent for a few minutes were his first words. George opened his eyes and then reached out and put his hand on Octal's shoulder as, if, as she drove down the highway. He just let his arm rest there for a while as if the gesture would somehow convey his thoughts. He kept opening his mouth like he wanted to say something, then he would close his mouth and sit silent. This went on for a good five minutes, and Octal stayed mute. Then George took his hand off her shoulder and cleaned his thick glasses with his shirt. He didn't know what to think, but he knew he liked Octal, even if she was not human. That very thought made him question his view of what was real and what was not real. Maybe this was just some kind of joke. Maybe he was in a different dimension. Maybe he was dreaming. At last, he stuck with the thought that was there. Something very odd was going on, and he was not in control of it all. He suddenly felt like a child. He wanted to weep, but tears would not come out of his eyes. He sat there in a daze, sort of, staring at Octal as she drove. After a few minutes, it dawned on him that he was in love with an alien, or a robot alien, or a robot. He concluded he was a pawn in some grand scheme, and so were his two friends. He looked up and stared at Octal as she drove, trying to see what made her a robot or an alien. He... He couldn't see anything. She had to be human. Then he recalled the events of the night before. He reached over and put his hand on her thigh and felt her warm skin beneath her jeans. Octal slowly pulled the car off the road onto a side road. They kissed, and they made love once again. Now George was convinced she was human, not a robot. The story she told had to have been a farce, a sick joke, some strange occurrence, a lost dimension in his mind. He was confused. George decided he needed to keep quiet and play along with whatever was going on because it wasn't bad at this point in time. They continued on to Santa Fe, and Octal dropped George off at a Ford dealership, handed him an envelope stuffed with cash, and told him to purchase a new van. George did as he was told, and Octal headed to where the medicine men were meeting near the town center. 
Less than an hour later, Akhtar return, was returning with Tom White called in her car and introduced him to George. She told George to drive back to Socorro and meet with his friends. To be continued. <laughs>